hand. That's great. Give me a hand. <laughs> yeah, Tim and Hannah, they just got married. Tim is an intern here and is, is doing a great job and super encouraged. If you're not a part of a life group, we want to encourage you to sign up. There'll be a table out there where you can get a little bit more information. You can also go on to our website. Uh, we we are going to get into some fun stuff today. And by fun stuff, I mean heavy stuff that you're really glad that you don't have to do what I'm about to have to do. Uh, you don't know that yet, but you are. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you and praise you. We ask Almighty God that you would be lifted up and exalted. And Lord, I, w- I would just, right now, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And as we talk about uh, at times today, some really tough things, especially in relationship to our culture, especially in relationship to people we love, especially in relationship to purpose and your plan. I ask Almighty God that you would, just in a very real way, uh, help us to zero in on your word, to hear your word, to respond in faith to your word, because these are hard things. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us, uh, just in a, in a very real way today, an ability to look into your word, rightly divide it, to apply it to our lives, and to glorify you. For it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. From an early age, I've, I've, I've liked to play with fire. Um, it's true. I like... I like to, uh, I like bonfires. We just had a men's bonfire recently. I love to, uh, I love to start those fires. It's a lot of fun for me. It's always been a, a lot of fun. There's kind of a love-hate relationship that I have with it because sometimes I do a really great job and other times it takes a lot of uh, gasoline to get, that, to get that fire going. And, uh, but, I, but I love fire and, and I've thought about that through the years that just... Um, how fire has this ability to keep us warm and to extend life. It also has the ability to burn us and give death. Uh, recently, uh, it was a little chilly outside, so uh, we had the windows open and our house was cold. And, and instead of turning the heater on, we said, well, let's just close the windows and let's get the fireplace going again. And so we were sitting around the fireplace and it was, it was warm, it was nice, and you could see the, the fire, and it was, it was just kind of one of those life-giving moments that our family shared in that place. And I thought about that fire for a moment, and I thought, how great that in its place, that fire has the ability to bring warmth, to bring courage, encouragement into my home, to bring an atmosphere that allows for some loving relationships and great conversations, but... If I took that fire out of the fireplace and moved it about six feet over into the middle of our living room, that fire would not be the same. It would not be life-giving. It would burn down our house. Because in the context of a fireplace, a fire is great. In the context of the floor in your living room, that fire is not great. It will burn that place down really quick. And you know what? If that were to happen, no one would say this. I hate fire. Fire is so nice, but then every time I go to trust fire, it burns down my house. 
what they would say is, Kenny, you're pretty dumb for having taken that fire and put it in the middle of your floor in your living room. That was not a wise decision you made. Why? Because outside of the context that it's supposed to be in, in a fireplace, it will burn things down. It has a place. And I think sometimes when we engage with God and his plan is very similar. God and his plan in the context of what God has given us is warm. It's life-giving. But when we choose to take that God's, uh, God's design and we leave God's design for things and we choose to do it outside of God's design, it will burn our houses down. And it happens time and time again. It's as if we say, well, I know that that's a pretty good place for that fire, but let me try my own way. Let me try to do it a little bit differently than than the way it's supposed to. What's it really going to hurt? And we find that it, it hurts a lot. In fact, we see elements of this. We don't have the whole picture of what I'm about to show you, but, but I want to remind us that as we're digging into Genesis, and we're going from creation to the cross, when we dig into Genesis, one of the things that we recognize right from the beginning is this is God's story. And God's story is weaving into humanity's story. And in weaving into humanity's story, God is saying, I want to extend to you life, and I have some parameters for that. Not because I'm a mean God, but because I'm a good God. And I love you, and I care about you. And if you try to go outside of these parameters, you're going to burn up. It's not going to go well. Instead of life, there is death. But that's a choice that we all have individually. And we see that woven in throughout the texts in a variety of ways. Job was a good guy, blessed by God. And Satan asked to tempt Job. God gave Satan some boundaries. And Job went to his friends as his wife came to him and said, Job, just curse God. All of these things. We've lost our children, Job. Clearly, you're not the man of God you claim to be. Job's friends come in and they say basically the same thing. Job is going to these people for encouragement, uh, only they're not encouraging. Perhaps. We don't know all of... uh, we don't know everything that's going on in the mind and heart of Job, but God does. And in protecting Job and in giving us a, a message that is a part of this woven message throughout time, we see this in Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 7. And I'll, I'll read it out. Listen closely to the words. Because if God is the creator of all things, God knows how things are supposed to work. He may have an idea of how things are supposed to work beyond what we know. Even in Job's case, there is a spiritual element that Job has no idea about at this time. Something that's going on in the heavenlies that is going to last throughout time and impact uh, people all over the world throughout time. Job has no idea. He just sees his loss in a moment and the pain of that moment. That's all he sees. God's view is much bigger and more complete. And we see it in in, uh, God pushing back on Job. And this is what he says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you 
and you make it known to me. In other words, I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. And the emphasis is you human. You weren't there in the beginning. You weren't there when I created things. How would you know? You would not know. But I know things you do not know. I have a plan beyond your plan. And God is pushing back on Job to this. Tell me if you have understanding Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Maybe you know. God pushes back on Job in a way that maybe hits us today. There are elements of the world that we live in where we we have taken the position of God. We know. I, I got a plan and it's better than God's plan. And if we would look at the scriptures and we see how God weaves his message throughout these scriptures and, and what the Lord is trying to tell us is this. Don't take that fire outside of the fireplace. I have a plan and it's a good plan. And if you would be willing to in faith walk with me in this plan, there is life. Outside of that, there is death, and it's coming. Let's, let's look, though. I, I wanna, when we talk about God as the creator, sometimes we have a very narrowed focus, and I, I want to identify a few things. One, Jesus is there. Jesus is God the creator. We see it in a variety of places. In John chapter 1, we see it in verse 3 and 10. This is what it says. All things were made through him and without him, was not anything made that was made. Talking about Jesus, and then in verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. In other words, Jesus is a part of, he is the God who creates. He is that God. We see it in some other places. We see it in 1 Corinthians and in Colossians here in just a moment. <clears throat> Again, just to confirm, Jesus is the creator. It's going to matter in just a little bit. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And then again in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator. He was there at the beginning. Uh, He's the one who put things into motion, into action, and he has authority to tell us how things are supposed to go. So what we're doing right now is we're, we're going from creation to the cross, and we're looking at the Genesis stories, and we'll be in Genesis chapter two today, just so you know, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at the Genesis stories and see what God's plan is. What is the context that God gives us? And what are we supposed to do with that? Sometimes we have this um, thought that there is uh, a lot of fluidity in the scriptures. In other words, God is love, and because God is love, I can do what I want when I want because he loves me and wants me to be happy. 
And, and that would be like me in my living room going, I think I would rather the fire be here. That would make me happy in this moment. Little would I know uh, that if I take that fire and place it here, I'm burning everything down and risking my life. So let's take a moment and let's look at the, the creation story in chapter 2 and specifically how God created mankind, humankind. We're in chapter 2. And instead of reading the whole chapter, we're, we're highlighting some areas of the chapter for time and, and also so we can identify a few things that are really important in this. As we read through the creation story of humankind in chapter 2, we land in a few places. One of those places is that uh, God creates with his breath. I love this. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground that breathed, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. If, if you have your pen, underline that, star it, because we're going to come back to that. That verse actually has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today as it relates to fire. I know I've put a lot of questions in your brain right now. Like you're going, I am made of questions after that statement, Kenny. What is going on? You're going to have to wait. Sorry. God created us with his breath. I, I, I love this truth. I, I shared this one other time, but there are some Jewish scholars and some Christian scholars who have identified that the uh, tetragrammaton, the four letters of God, the vav or I'm sorry, yod He vav He, those four letters of God uh, that, that, that are his covenant name are hard to pronounce. In fact, we're not sure exactly. Is it Yahweh? Is it Yahweh? Is, is it Yehovah? How do you, how do you say that? There's, there are some questions about how to say God's covenant name, those four letters. So, as they began to look and study and, and the, started to get into some ancient studies as well, one of the things that they, they identified is that it's very likely that as we breathe, we're saying God's name, and it's like this. Did you hear it? When we breathe. So every breath we take is a reminder that the breath of God has been given to us and that God's name is literally coming out of every breath that we speak from the first to the last. The fact that God has given us life and has breathed his life into us is significant. And even in an unconscious sort of way, perhaps, we're going around speaking his name. It's not, it's not right? Insert your name. It's not there. God created us with his breath. He puts people where he wants them. In verse 8, that's an interesting piece. If you look at verse 8, he creates humankind. And then in verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, that's just a statement, uh, in, in this observational passage, but it's a truth woven throughout the scriptures. If, if 
you go to Acts chapter 17, verse 24, 25, and 26, we see that God uniquely places people where he wants them so that we hear the gospel, we have the opportunity to respond in faith to him. God has uniquely put each of us exactly where he wants us so that we would hear the gospel and consequently live to the glory of God. That's the purpose of where we live. And God reveals his hand in Genesis chapter 2 that I place you where I want you. If you're wondering, am I in the right place? I don't know about tomorrow, but today, yes. You are exactly where God wants you. And a part of that is he wants you to know him. He wants to walk even more closely with you in this place, in this moment, at this time. It's why his name is I am, not I was. We don't think about the, we're not stuck in the past. It's not I will be. We're thinking about the future and going to meet God in the future. It's I am. It's present tense. It's right now. Where we are at, we connect with God in this place. And God shows his hand in this moment, in this passage. Continuing on. Made for community. Skip down to verse 18, if you would. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And all the women said, Amen. Amen. Good job. (laughs) A few of you were ready. You had it out before I even said anything. It is not good for this man to be alone. Uh, I will make him a helper fit for him. In other words, uh, uh, God knows that we are a type of creature that have God's image. When, when we talk about God's image, we know a few things about God. One of those things that we know about God is that uh, when he creates humankind, he says, let us create them in our image. Talking about the Trinity, the community that he exists in, and that we too exist in that sort of community. We, we're people that need community. Even, even the, the, the hermit of the family needs to have human touch, needs to have community. We're created that way. We need it. Whether you are uh, an introvert or an extrovert, we need community. It's one of the reasons that life groups are so important at Friendship. Because we believe that in a life group, we're going to get the kinds of community that we need. That we're, we're going to get in the Word together. We're going to care for one another. And we're going to pray for one another. Those are parts of the, the essential pieces of community that we need. Our souls need. And we see that right from Genesis uh, chapter 2. And then we are made for intimate relationships. Skip down to verse 23 through 25. Verse 23 through 25 says this. Then the man said, This is at last, or this is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is an important piece that they were able to be in uh, an intimate relationship together in such a way that they weren't ashamed of it. Uh, It was good to be together and unashamed. We are made for intimate relationships as well. So not just community, but also intimate relationships. And again, we're talking about people in general. There there are some people who have the spiritual gift of celibacy, uh, 
but primarily, God has given us these sorts of relationships. And it was his intention in the creation of, of humankind to perpetuate this sort of person to know God and to walk in relationship with this God. So, with that in mind, there is something that I have to share. Let's go back to this passage that I asked you to underline earlier. It's verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. In the ancient days, this is how fire was made. <laughs> and they didn't just have a lighter. There was no match. They had to go out and find some hardwood and find some, something that, that would catch fire, some, something dry that they could catch fire to. And then they'd have to bend down and blow on it. And to the ancient world, when you read... And by the way, the word that's used here, breathed, has the idea and is, is used of the fire, the breath of a furnace in other passages of Scripture. So there's some heat implied with this phrase. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now... There are several reasons that this is important, um, and I, I, didn't, I didn't just make this up. There was a guy uh, who was born in 30 AD. His name was Akiva, and Akiva taught on this very issue of, uh, of life being breathed, that, that God, the word picture here is that God is starting a fire. <sighs> Let me go through some things real quick. This is the Tetragrammaton, the name of God, the four-letter name of God, his covenant name, Yod, He, Vav, He. And so that's God's name. That's this top word. We read it this way, not this way, this way. Got it. Okay. And then we have uh, Aleph and Shin, these two letters. Now, the reason that this is important is because this is the word for fire. Aish, fire. Sorry, I hope you can see it. I tried to write it big enough. I apologize. I couldn't find a slide that would work, so we're doing this. So this is God's name. This is fire, Aish. And then there is this word. And you can kind of see that there's this, there's Aleph and Aleph, and there's Shin and Shin, but there's one other letter, Yud. Right there. This is the word for man. Ish. Ish. I know. It's, somebody always makes the comment, yeah, that's a pretty good name for man. Ish. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll take it. Uh, ish. Uh, but ladies, yours is much better. Isha. Uh, is this right here. And you have the same, some same letters, right? Aleph. Aleph. Shin. Shin. But there's another letter, hey. So Akiva, when he was teaching this, he said, uh, this is very important because there is fire in the personalities of people. In other words, people have the ability to burn pretty hot. 
And marriage, perhaps, is an identifier of that, right? Like, that, that is a place where there can be a lot of friction. And it could be... <laughs> I didn't even ask for it on that one. That's true, though. There could be a lot of friction. So, Akiva said this. A marriage will burn up unless God is not present. And you might say, well, how, how do you get to God being present? Great question. Thank you for asking it. So he said, okay, so what separates the ish, the man, from the fire is this yod. Oh, that's the first letter in the name of God. They think different than we think. Uh, hey, is there a hey available? Yes, and isha, hey. Oh, there's two. But we're missing a letter, vav. So uh, the problem that we have is we're missing a letter. But the vav goes, oh, and I left my marker, so you're going to have to use your brain, okay? Imagine. Imagine this vav going right here. Why does that matter? Because when you put the vav there, that is, uh, that's a prefix that says and. So man and woman. And if you put the vav there, then you have God's presence. God has to be present in a marriage. Now, I want you to look closely at this because this, again, is what, whoa, don't look closely at that. Look closely at this. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> look at this. <laughs> Pay no attention behind, no, never mind. Uh, okay. So, God created them male and female. First thing I want to say that God didn't make a mistake. God created them male and he created them female. And when he created them, he created them with a purpose. What God's purpose is, I don't know, it exists in this context that he created. And if we're going to take that purpose outside of that and lay it on the floor and say, Lord, I know you created me as this gender, but I'm identifying as another gender. There's a problem. And the problem is in purpose. God created with purpose because he loves us. And he cares for you. He knows exactly what we need. And in that context, he created us. Ish and Isha, man and woman. But also, God created us to be in these intimate relationships together. And in these intimate relationships, as we can see, woven throughout is this very issue, man and woman. If you have two men there, God, God's name is not available. If you have two women, God's name is not available. If you have a man and Vav and a woman, God's name is available. It's woven throughout the scriptures. Somebody says, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Jesus didn't talk about that. Well, he did, though. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Matthew 19. As you're turning to Matthew 19, I'm sharing this because Jesus when he comes in the flesh, when God shows up in the flesh, he has the opportunity to, to move away from what we would say a traditional marriage is. 
He, he has that opportunity. In fact, there are times when he pushes back on the way the law is being presented. He'll say things like, you have heard it said that, and then he would quote something. And then he'd say, but I tell you this. He was changing it up. It's like, you don't understand it correctly. This is not one of those times. In fact, 30 years after what we're about to read, there is an emperor named Nero. Nero, uh, as an emperor, did a variety of things. One of the things he did is he lit Rome up with Christians at night. And what I mean is, he took Christians, he set them on fire at night because they would not say that the emperor was Lord. And he lit the path of Roman streets with the lives of Christians. That, That gives you kind of a clue what kind of guy he is. He also married a man, a public, publicly married a man, and he was the bride. And then not too long later, he married another man publicly, and he was the groom. Now, I share that to say that, that Jesus exists in a time where uh, same-sex marriages weren't outside of the, the realm of possibility. If we're thinking that, okay, well, God has this, um, uh, I'm sorry, not God, but we have this culture that things have changed, and because things have changed, you know, the, the scriptures don't really apply to us like they used to apply to us, and so maybe this is okay in a way that this is not one of those times. This is not one of those times. In other words, we don't get truth based on time. We get truth based on truth. Like, is it true? And we identify that God's word is true. As the creator of all things, God's word is true. And he creates things in this fireplace. But if we pull that fire outside of the fireplace, it can burn up. We are in uh, Matthew chapter 19. And I'm going to go down to verse 3. And it says this. And Pharisees came up to him, Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore? God has joined together Let no man separate. Jesus affirms the belief in marriage. A man and a woman. This is not a a, a political statement that I'm making. This is a biblical statement. We're looking throughout church history. It's only been in recent days where anyone has ever made the suggestion that perhaps God is okay with any sort of deviation from this plan. Woven into it and taught early on, ish ve'isha, man and woman. And that's the place where God has to, we have to have God in those marriages. Without that, the marriage is ish. It burns up. It's fire. So where are we at? Let's keep looking. Let's identify the function of creation. Go ahead and turn here to uh, Genesis chapter 2. 
Genesis chapter 2. And let's look in verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. We use this verse because this is the verse that is spoken just before the creation. In other words, this is, this is what, there is a purpose for humankind. We have a purpose And it's a part of the function of people. One of the issues that we had throughout COVID is that suicide rates went skyrocketing. Why? Because people started losing a sense of purpose. What am I even here for? What am I doing? Purpose is key. But purpose is born into the very nature of people. We exist for a purpose. Let's look in some other places to identify. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, listen to what it says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So what are we saying? That we exist and our function has purpose and our function is to serve and we get to serve. But not one another even. Not even in our jobs. Who are we serving? We are serving the Lord. And as a point of clarity, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 it says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Friends, we exist for the glory of God, not for the glory of Kenny. Remember, it's it's God. He's the one who's purposed us. It's his context that he created for good and for life and for warmth. And outside of that context has the ability to burn up if we're not careful. breaks my heart that we're having conversations with preschool kids about their purpose. I don't know how I identify. Can you just identify as a little kid? Someone who God created, who loves you, has planned for your life, would you be willing to at least identify as somebody who wants to find? Well, why are we having those conversations? These are tough days, friends. And I got to tell you, it would be way easier to not have these kind of conversations. It would be way easier to just do our own thing. But if we're going if, if to be the church and not just play church, then we have to say, okay, God's word actually is the authority in our lives. And because God's word is actually the authority in our lives, we've got to follow God's word. So if we're going to follow God's word, then we have to say, what does God's word say? And now how do I rightly divide it? Is that a consistent message throughout all of the scriptures? And how do I apply that message then to my lives? Friends, these are tough things. I get it. But I, I I want life. I want warmth. I want our houses to burn down. Too many of them have. And oftentimes, we have to deal with the aftermath of taking the fire out of Uh, the fireplace. 
homes that are destroyed. Where there was, there was a, hey, Kenny, there was a man and a woman in their marriage, but it just didn't work. Yeah, because there was no God. I don't want to have those conversations. We can do, we can do this. <laughs> we, can, we can live in the context that God has given us, and it's our choice to do it. So, what's the choice? Will we honor God and follow Him or not? That's the choice. The worship team's going to come out. And as they come out, um, we're, we're going to transition into a time of communion. And um, I, I just, a, a couple of things I want to identify. Uh, first of all, this message, my intention is not to shame anybody, not to hurt anybody. I recognize um, that this can draw up a lot uh, uh, that's happening in our communities, that perhaps is happening in our families. I, I get that. This is, this is not a message of hate. This is a message of life, though. And if, we, and if we're going to uh, follow God, then we need to exist in the context that God has created us for. It's best that way. It's life-giving in that place. So today, just perhaps you haven't been here during communion. We've changed things up a little bit. We ask that you would be willing to uh, take some time and reflect. First of all, am I following Jesus? Is, Is Jesus an authority in my life? That's the first question. Have I surrendered to him? And then the second is to examine our hearts. Is there any unconfessed sin that needs to be addressed? And if there is, to confess it. You know what, Lord? I have taken at times, maybe not the stuff Kenny talked about today, but other things I've taken out of the fireplace and I've started my own fires. I've been burned by it. I'm sorry. That was not your plan to examine our hearts. And then as we examine our hearts to confess it. Confess means to say the same thing. We're saying what God already knows. Lord, I'm sorry. I took that fire out of the fireplace and I burnt myself, I burned others. Forgive me, Lord. I want to buy, or maybe it's, Lord, I'm struggling. I want to so bad take that fire. I need your strength and I am wrestling in my heart. Okay, confess it. We ask that you go to the carpeted areas, if you see whichever carpeted area is closest to you, to go towards the communion tables. There's two tables in the room uh, up front on either corner. If you're on this side of the room, then you can come down the aisle and go to that table. If you're on this side of the room, you can go down the aisle and go to that table. And then we ask that you return on the sides, that you would go back around to your seats so that we don't jam things up and trip people up. Be courteous and kind to one another. And, and then at the end, if you would hold on to your communion elements at the, uh, after a couple of songs, I'm going to come back out and we're going to participate together. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we do love you. And we do want to honor you. These are hard things. But they're right. And they're good. And we know that because you created them. And that which you've created, you call good. And if you call it good, Lord, I want to call it good. So, Father, I ask for your strength. I ask for your courage. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would light our hearts, that as we examine ourselves, 
that if there's any sin in our lives, that we would confess that. For things that we have chosen to do outside of your plan, we ask for forgiveness, that you would be exalted. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.